Greetings, heathens. Welcome to Hail Satan. This is the podcast exploring Satanism, culture, and life in general through the eyes of modern Satanists. My name is Joseph Rose. I'm a member of an amazing independent congregation called Satanic Delco, and we welcome members from anywhere in the world. If you want to learn a little more about us, visit satanicdelco.com. Today will be more of a personal episode than most. My father has very recently died, and I'm going to talk about it. First, let me acknowledge some Satanists that have joined us recently on Patreon. We are joined by Sarah, Elena, Jeff, Jason, Vincent, Laura, Dakota, Charlie, Janine, Bifurious, Mason, Sizem, Scott, Corey, and Beige. Thank you all very, very much. You know I love and appreciate the support. You guys make this whole thing possible. So again, thank you very much. Please join in if you haven't with all of the action on Facebook and Discord and Zoom, and you know the deal. If you all have a moment out there, please visit the website at HailSatanPodcast.com. You will find links there to join me on social media. There's a form to send me an email, which I encourage you to do. And there is a link to join up with the whole gang on Patreon. We have a few different tiers to choose from with various benefits, including the amazing Greetings from Hell Satanic Postcard of the Month Club. It sounds crazy, but it's pretty fucking cool. That is the most direct way you can support me and this show. If you'd like to do that, visit HailSatanPodcast.com. Joining me to walk us through whatever this episode will be is the tantalizing and often tenacious Kirsten. Welcome back. Thank you. I never know what to say when you introduce me. What did you say? Tantalizing and... Tenacious. Tenacious? Yeah. Oh, you mean because I ask like questions sometimes? Just is generally, okay? you're and sort of, is... let's not focus on the introduction too long. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so a couple of weeks ago, you received a message from your brother. Yeah, I got, this is what sort of started everything rolling recently. Within the last few weeks, I got a message from one of my half-siblings. Throughout this conversation, you'll hear me say, siblings, brothers, sisters, and whenever I say those things, technically that means half-siblings. They're all on my dad's side. Within the last few weeks, I got a message from my brother. He wrote to me telling me that my father is dying. He said some months back, I don't know how long, my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer. He opted not to treat it in any way. And he was now in some kind of hospice situation. All of that was a surprise. I don't often hear from any of my siblings. And then, of course, the message about my father. I suspected that a message like that would come one day. Uh, I didn't think it would be now. 
And so it did, it did come. Okay. And why were you not hoping to receive that message? You didn't want to know if something was happening to your dad? Well, I don't know if it was exactly I was hoping not to get the message. I just, I just wasn't expecting it. And typically, you know, my family, it even, it even feels awkward using the word, but okay, we're, we're related somehow, so it's my family. We don't really have a relationship. I don't have much of a relationship at all with my siblings. I haven't had much of any relationship with my father. And so I just didn't have any of them on my mind. And I wasn't really looking to have them on my mind, honestly. And so when the message came, it was it felt like this obligation of a distraction that was now forced into my life. When I've got shit to do, I've got things to think about and people to deal with in real life and and work to do. And now there was this thing put upon me that I had to deal with. That thing was you need to make a, a decision about what to do with this information. Right. The message from my brother came with this, I don't know, it felt like I was now to make a decision. I had to decide, do I contact my father or not? Part of the message that I got from my brother felt like, he would like to hear from you. And so now I'm left with the decision. And so I had to consider that. Sure. Then what was your relationship like with your father that you weren't weren't so sure, you know, if you were going to do something with this information? What, what was it like growing up with him or, or without him? In childhood, growing up from, you know, I don't know, birth through teen years, let's say, as I was very young, my relationship with him was very sporadic and minimal. There was no regular schedule. It wasn't like your typical thing like, oh, you spend weekends with your dad. Or uh, I hear often, oh, every other weekend you go with your dad. I never had that. Much more sporadic than that. He would appear, he would pick me up for the day, and we would go do something. You know, go hang out at his house or some little outing. About how often was that? Uh, really hard to say. Okay. I don't remember. Was there ever a, a period of time where it was kind of consistent or was he ever really present? I don't remember ever feeling like it was very consistent. And if it was consistent, it certainly wasn't often. You know, it wasn't every week or every two or three weeks or month, I don't even think. It was more rare than that. And it seemed to come sort of out of the blue. It was it would just pop up like, oh, your dad's coming to get you for the day or, or do you want to go do that? And I'd say, sure, I don't know, I, I guess. I didn't even know what to say as a kid. I hardly knew the guy, but I knew this concept of like, I have a dad, but he's not here, but he'll come hang out with me once in a while. And by that point, he was already remarried and had new children, you know, that were primary in his life. Was there ever a point in your younger childhood where you were like, like where you thought, oh, I have a dad just like every other kid has a dad? Was there it ever that concept? It didn't feel like that. Okay. I don't know. I don't know how exactly it was ever presented or explained to me. My mom was usually pretty frank and open about things. And so the explanation was probably we're divorced and that means we're not together anymore. And so... And were they together? <laughs> 
What do you mean? Were they ever together? Or were they ever married? Or were they yes. like a short-term thing? Yeah, I believe they were married. Oh. But I don't, I don't even know how long they were married for. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, she did have his name, and hence I have his name. But, yeah, I don't, I don't think it was a very long thing okay. that went on. And they were quite young. I was born when my mom was 20. She was pregnant at 19. And so they were young. They were roughly the same age, I believe. And so, yeah, the relationship as a young kid was sporadic. And if I'm being honest, there were at least a couple of occasions where it was unfortunate. I wish those visits with him didn't happen. I didn't enjoy them. They weren't good. They were negative. But there were other times that were fine. I can, you know, in my mind, as I search through my childhood memories of occasions being spent with my father, there are a handful of them. You know, there was a day when we went fishing with my brother. There was a time where we went camping somewhere for like a weekend. And that's basically it. I mean, a small handful of memories. And then the ones aside from that, there were some negative experiences, which whatever, we can get into them at some point if we want to. Yeah, I'll definitely come back to them. And then as I get older, as a teen, even less. You know, he would pop up much more rarely for this or that, and that was it, really. Once I got into my 20s, you know, I go to college, all these things, there was no dad around. There was no conversations. There was no anything. You fast forward to my late 20s. The most prominent, consistent sort of, I guess, relationship, if you could say that, with my dad was during this time. And that relationship consisted of occasionally, with whatever frequency, I don't remember, I would stop by his house. He lived not that far away, just, you know, 10 minutes away, maybe. And we would hang out and chat, you know, watch something on TV, shoot the shit, surface level, you know, hanging out, catching up, whatever. And I would either give him a call or a message and say, hey, may, you know, maybe I'll stop over, okay, or I would just stop over. And that was pretty much it. And do I lead into the end of that yeah, relationship? You, um, yeah, you can. At that time, in my late 20s there, I had a relationship with what would become the mother of my son. So during that time is when I'm you know, having this sort of relationship with my dad. My son's mother becomes pregnant. We know, okay, I'm going to be a father now. That's a thing. My dad knows about this. We talk about it. You know, I'm visiting him at this time. I tell him, yep, we're, we're going to have a kid. Okay, exciting times. And then there's that day when you have the appointment to go find out the sex of the child in the womb. And so I had that appointment. I went, we did the thing, found out it's going to be a boy. Hallelujah. I wanted a boy. I really strongly wanted a boy. I just did. I wanted a son. And so that day I called my dad from from the car, if I remember, driving, just to say, hey, we found out it's going to be a boy. And he didn't answer the phone. No big deal. I didn't have a thought about it. Sometimes you don't answer your phone. You don't notice it. You're busy. You're whatever. Voicemail picks up. So it did. And I left him a message and I let him know, hey, we're having a boy. And I figure, you know, he'll get the message. He'll call me back with whatever feelings he might have about that. At this point, it would be his first grandchild, you know? Maybe he has a feeling about that. And he never called me back. And by never, I mean 
it's been over 16 years and he never called me back. Yeah. And you had sort of at, at that point, you made a conscious decision not to, to follow up again after that because. Yeah. He, he never called me back and therefore I never called him back. And that's, yeah, you had up and even on leaving up until that point had this sort of feeling that it was sort of a one-sided. What became clear at that moment when he never called me back or contacted me in any way. It became clear that our relationship was completely one-sided. If I saw him or spoke to him, it was because I initiated it. If I didn't, we weren't going to talk. And that was proven out by the fact that he didn't call me back, and I just never called him back, and therefore never heard from him ever again for the remainder of his life. We'll, we'll get to it, but fast forward a time, I heard from him through email or, or whatever, but that was years later and, and we'll get there. But so that was essentially the end yeah. of my functional relationship, even and, though what, whatever limited relationship it was. And through childhood and adulthood, you're, he had another family. Yep. He had a wife and the three boys that he had after, and they had a life. Yeah. Yeah. And they had a life that you could witness from the sidelines during your childhood? Yeah, I yeah, I had this minimal ongoing relationship with those siblings, mm -hmm. the three brothers. Um one more so than the other, based mostly on age. The one was the oldest, he was a little closer to my age and yeah, casual relationship over the years. Yeah. So your dad had this other this other family that was more of his primary family if you would call it that mm -hmm. as far as he was concerned anyway. Yep. And he wasn't seemingly interested in actively pursuing a, a greater relationship with you. So when your brother sent you this message a few weeks ago in 2023 mm -hmm. that your dad might want to contact you a bit or might want to talk to you because he was dying, you weren't really sure how to handle that information, what to do with that information. Yeah. So that's all of the stuff that's kind of weighing on, on your decision. And you talked to some friends about it and you talked to... Yeah, I asked people around me. I talked with some of my friends. I talked with people in Satanic Delco. People around all gave me their insight or opinions into the situation. Yeah. As I'm sure you can imagine, some people's experiences with their own parents or their own just life experiences will encourage you to say, nah, fuck it. Don't, you don't know that guy anything. And other people will say things like, you know, what's one last chance? It would be really helpful for me if I had that chance to say goodbye. Yeah, I got all the different advice. You yeah. know, there were the group of people of the mind that I should do it. You know, they're like, you never know. You don't want to live with regret or this or that. You should give it a chance. You know, yeah. go ahead and reach out. It's, it may be your last chance. And then, of course, there were people on the other side who said, fuck that guy. Yeah. I wouldn't talk to him. And you have, in addition to the, the three brothers that grew up with with him as their dad in the household. There's yeah. a couple other siblings out there. Yes. Um, do they have a similar experience? The other siblings out there, which are two half-sisters and one additional half-brother, all from individual relationships, um, none from any specific one relationship. They're mm -hmm. all one-offs. <laughs> yeah. They were all, there's four of us one-offs and then the three from his current yeah. family. Do you know what their relationship was with, with him while they were yeah, growing up? Yeah, similar. So there's the half-brother, Matthew, who I've never met. 
he's never met uh, my father. Well, I should say he never met my father up until recently. Yeah. So they had no relationship whatsoever. And then there's sister Amy, who all growing up through all of the years, well through adulthood, had no relationship whatsoever. They didn't even necessarily know of one another's existence, or at least Amy didn't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know what my father knew. So no relationship there. And then there was Amber, the other half-sister, who I met once or twice maybe as a child. Uh, They had a, I don't know, sporadic relationship. Yeah, I don't know all of the details and depths of that, but sporadic. Well, did all these siblings live around here? Yeah, relatively in the area. Not not like right in the same neighborhood or anything, but within a reasonable distance. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy to think of, um, you know, a parent just having another family, but like being very close to you, like physically, you know, it's not like they live across the country with, with a bunch of kids. Yeah. How about this? How about this reality that crossed my mind? I'm just an adult. I'm a person from age 18 up through my 40s. And I'm just living a life. At times, I'm in relationships. At times, I'm not. At times, I'm a single man. I'm out there in the world. Years and years ago, I would be on a dating app. I'm lonely. Let me find a date. You know, other people are out there lonely trying to find a date. I got two women (laughs) that I'm somewhat related to that I don't know exist, that don't share my name, that don't share any obvious characteristics that would identify themselves as related to me, we could have been fucking dating. Yeah. I could have been swiping on one of my half sisters and making out yeah. with them and not knowing it. I mean that there's like stories of that happening in yes, real life. It's always I'm like sure. a major news event. I'm sure. And two people find out they're cousins, but they loved each other first, so they're <laughs> gonna stick it out. Yeah. So luckily, uh, to my knowledge, I've never made out with a sibling of mine. Yeah. But God damn, it could have happened. Yeah. And that's upsetting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I dodged that bullet. Yeah. But yeah, we, we lived relatively close enough to one another. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Um, okay. So what are, I mean, what are they doing during, what's, what seems to be their decision? Are they, do they have a relationship with your dad in more recent years at all? I don't think there's been much. And again, I'm speaking about these other siblings, yeah. not the three boys. The three boys always had a relationship with my father. The other three did not. I think they've only discovered all of this recently. The knowledge of their relation to my father only came out over the last handful of years. And so within that last handful of years, they've had a sporadic, casual relationship, I believe. Mm -hmm. They've gotten together a few times. They've talked here and there. But I don't think it's like they became the Brady Bunch or anything. Okay. To my knowledge. And so again, when, I don't have the most intimate knowledge, but yeah. as far as I know, that's the way it's been. And in these last weeks, they've all been all in. They've been, yeah. let's go over there, let's see him, let's talk to him, let's be there, which left me as truly the outsider in this whole situation yeah. because I was not of that mind. Yeah. And like you said, this is when even even that half-brother who had nothing to do with with any of you guys at all really beforehand did stop by to say yes. you know, something. He's um, been there. Yeah. Like he's been there consistently or he just stopped in once to. I don't know. He's been there on some level. Yeah. And as we sit here today, I've been invited to another gathering of 
the family, which will, you know, probably may likely be the last time there is such a gathering. And I haven't given some sort of definite answer as to whether or not I'll be there. But as it stands, I probably won't. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah, that seems like a whole other conversation almost that, that we could have. But sure. Um, so pretty much everyone's everyone's going to spend those last few minutes with him and, and you're stuck with that decision. It has always seemed a sort of a one-sided relationship that you've had with him. Your brother messages, hey, your dad would like to talk to you a little bit. What did you ultimately end up doing? My decision was I will go ahead and reach out via email against my own feelings or judgment. You know, I my reaction really was I don't need this. I'm I'm finished chasing that relationship. If he wants to talk to me, he knows where I am. He knows how to reach me in multiple ways. And if he's feeling too sick to do any of that, I'm sure he can have assistance. But okay, I did it. I wrote him an email, a brief email. It said essentially Hey, I'm sorry to hear about your medical condition. I just want you to know my inbox is open if you want to use it, as it has been all these years. And that's that. I so, sent the email, and there was no reply. Do you feel like you were sending that email just to sort of get to give him a chance or just to give it you a chance more? I don't even know. You know, I thought about that on some level there's maybe it's considered an act of kindness, right? I'm giving him an opportunity at what could be a dark or troubling time in his life. You know, he's facing the definite end of his life. He was at the very end and he knew that. And I've not experienced that, so I don't know what it feels like inside, but he does. He knew what it felt like. And if ever he had any urge to have contact with me, he knew that this was his last chance. And based on that, I'm able to look at that situation and know that knowing it was his last chance, he chose not to. So what that tells me is that he didn't want to, obviously. When you've got only one last chance to do a thing and you want to do it really bad, you'll do it. You'll do it. And he didn't. And so I can't even really articulate why I made the decision I did. It would have been easy for me to not do it, and I think I'd be justified. Not that I would even need to justify it to anyone, but I think I would be well justified in not reaching out to him. But I did it. Was it to make him feel better? Was it to make me feel better? I don't know. But enough people advised me that maybe that's a good thing to do, that I was open to it, and I did it. Yeah. Um, and so you didn't hear from him, and that was maybe a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and then within the past few days, uh, it became clear that he was going to pass away sort of imminently. Yes. Yeah, I got word from one of my siblings that you know his whole situation had become more dire, time was short, and they were having gatherings over at his house. Oh, and I guess another, just to add some context to this, 
10 years ago, roughly. So my dad was living near here. Like I said, he was maybe 10 minutes away. But 10 years ago, he moved away to Arizona. He um, moved with his wife, and I'm not sure, maybe one of the younger siblings. I, I don't know exactly. He moved out to Arizona and lived there for several years. Only over the last couple of years had he moved back. And I had no idea that that happened. When I got this message that my father was dying, I assumed he was still in Arizona. I never learned that he had moved back to the area. Only through these recent conversations over the last couple of weeks did I learn, oh no, he moved back out here to be close to his newer grandchildren from one of my siblings, had a couple of kids, and he wanted to be out here to see the family and stuff, so he moved back. But I never knew any of that. I only learned that he even lived out here over, you know, these last couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, very little interest seemingly in um, knowing his grandchild when your son was going to be born. Zero. Zero interest. Yeah. He, at no time did he ever ask to see my son. <laughs> he never asked. And I guess, you know, maybe if I'm skipping around a little bit, we stopped talking when I made that phone call. He never called me back. I never called him back. That was that. The only contact we've had in between was through the email, and the catalyst for those emails was DNA testing that had been done a handful of years ago. Did the DNA testing online. This is where we found out about some of these new half-siblings that I had no knowledge of. None of us had any knowledge of these people. And during that phase, he emailed me, and we emailed maybe two, three times back and forth And I didn't enjoy those emails at all. It was clear to me that my father had created a version of our history and his history and our reality that was not based in any reality. And in part of those messages, he said something to me like, I don't understand why you've always kept your son away from me. And when I read this in an email, my jaw must have nearly fallen to the floor. The idea that I was keeping my son from him was ludicrous because, as I pointed out to him in my follow-up email, that I'd allowed him to see my son 100% of the times that he ever asked to see him, which was zero times. Had he asked, hey man, I'd really love to meet my grandson. I'd love to meet my grandson. Can you bring him over or can I come see him? To which I would have said, for sure, let's do it. Come on over, or I'll bring him over, whatever you like. 100% I would have done that. But he never asked, and so it never happened. And so the idea that he would suggest to me, the man who lived the reality, (laughs) why am I keeping my son from him, was fucking ridiculous. And I told him as much. And he didn't like that, I guess. And he had also sort of... Uh, I don't know when this was, but didn't didn't he say something that sounded like, oh, people people had been keeping him from you in your childhood as well? Yes. There's a narrative, and only now, like like now, as we speak, you know, I've been having these short bits of conversations with some of these siblings, including the ones that lived their lives with my father, the the three that grew up with him. Apparently, there'd been narratives running all through the years explaining away my dad's lack of 
involvement with me. And his version of the story was that my grandparents or family had put up this barrier, keeping him away from me. He wanted to be with me. He wanted to spend time. He wanted to be involved, but they were keeping him from it and all of this other stuff. And a hundred percent, I I swear it, none of that is true. None of that is true. No one kept him from me. And let's pretend for a moment that they had. Let's pretend my mom and my grandparents, who I spent a lot of my time growing up with, let's pretend they all actively were keeping him from me. All of that ended the moment they all died, which was years and years and years ago. None of them have been alive for a long time now. And so any barrier that existed because of them ended. And since their deaths, still no attempt had ever been made from him. So there goes that bullshit narrative. And there are more layers to it, and I don't know that they're important. One layer of it is the reality that, you know, my father got off the hook and never paid child support. (laughs) He never paid child support, not only for me, but for four of his seven children. He didn't have to support them financially at all. And as you can imagine, if you had to pay child support, not only for the three children you live with, but for the four that you don't, that could add up to a significant amount of money for a person. And so that significant amount of money led him to being able to live a really nice life. Yeah. A life that, from my perspective, you know, the levels of it that I got to see and experience from nearby is a life that far surpasses the level of luxury that I experience in my own life. And so, if at any point it sounds like I'm bitter or envious or jealous of that, I am. You know, not really. You know what I mean? I don't spend time thinking, I wish I could have it like that guy. But when I'm forced to think about all this, yeah. when I'm forced to think of what life must look like with all of that extra disposable yeah, I mean, income I mean, and knowing my father with his collections of classic cars and really nice motorcycles and a beautiful house that I will never experience in my life. Yeah. You know, (laughs) it does irk me. And able able to have all those things and also be paying for three children to live there. That's right. Um, Where I don't know about how the rest of the other four siblings, you know, lived. Right. But you and your childhood lived in your, a lot of times in your grandparents' house or in your mother's apartments or or places. Yeah. um, A significantly lesser lifestyle. Yeah. So yeah, all of these things contribute, you know, among plenty of other things, I'm sure, all contribute to when you fast forward to, I get a message of, you know, your father's dying, do you want to talk to him? Like, these are all contributing factors to why that was a decision that I had to really mull over. Yeah. And inevitably, you know, I made the choice to do it, but I felt kind of like the asshole doing it. Yeah. You know, here I go again. I don't want to chase a relationship with this dude And even after he hasn't tried to contact me for 16 years, well, he hasn't tried to contact me for way more than 16 years, but okay, I went ahead and reached out anyway. And I felt like more of the asshole after I did it when he didn't respond. I thought, you know, this motherfucker got to punk me one last time 
literally from his deathbed. Yeah. So, so be it. Um, yeah. And so, and also you mentioned, I, I believe that in those last couple of days, you're, you, you again had siblings that your sisters, I believe, mm-hmm. trying to get you to come over for those last couple of days. Yeah. Um, and you did not. Right. Um, and then uh, I forget when, but a couple of nights ago, I think via Facebook, you saw that yeah. he had passed. We're sitting here now on Saturday and he died Wednesday. And it was either Wednesday night or Thursday that I found out via Facebook posts from a couple of my siblings. Just happened to open up Facebook, and there it was. Saw a post from them lamenting the death of our father. You know, they had some photographs posted and stuff of them with him. Yeah. What is your relationship with your siblings like now? It's been essentially non-existent. Okay. Um, it had been non-existent with the three brothers, you know, barely existent, I would say. Very casually, very sporadically, there would be a little communication, primarily with the oldest of the three boys that are younger than me. But still, quite casual and infrequent. You know, I'm wondering because if the narrative, okay, there's four siblings out there. There's the three primary siblings. Mm-hmm. The th- I, I hate to say that. I don't that that's that fine. Difference. That's what I say. Primary <laughs> children, his primary children. And there's four others out there in, in the world somewhere. Mm-hmm. How can there – he could, uh, there's a narrative that at least, at least in your case, people were keeping you from him. Yeah. What about the other two? Well, I don't know when the I, – I, at least the one girl I know was known from childhood, the one you mentioned. Yeah, the oldest, the girl I met her once or twice, Amber – uh, once or twice when I was a child, we met. She popped up out of nowhere, to my surprise as a child, and then she disappeared just as quickly yeah. and didn't didn't know of her or talk to her for years and years and years until well into adulthood when all of this DNA testing website business came about. Yeah. We did that, and that's where we learned of more siblings. So I can understand, I can understand to an extent the, the three primary children of his, um, you know— Growing up with a dad and having an opinion about him and it being really hard to see him in a different light than the one that you want to see him in. So if your father says, yeah, I have another kid, but no one will let me see him, I might believe that. But if your father's, your, if your father's got four other kids, uh, you know, yeah, I don't you, know. If, yeah. Is there an excuse for every single one of them or what? I don't well, know. Well, the situations were different. In, in one case, maybe two, I don't know. They didn't even know. My, my father maybe didn't even know that they were out there. What a mess, really. What a yeah. web. But at some point he knew. Yeah. You know? And also, I mean, not to belabor the point, but all those years where, you know, he's suggesting that he was kept from me. Mind you, there was no legal battle. <laughs> there was no incident at the house where he tried to stop by because he couldn't take another day of not seeing his son. Yeah. It was nothing like that. Yeah. It was just like, oh, well, they, they were going to give me a hard time. And so, whatever. you know, it was nothing like that. There was no real effort made, of course. Um, but, yeah. of course, the entire narrative is false. It just isn't. It just isn't true. And, and for some reason, there were times that he was allowed to come over and, and yes. gather you up and take you on some ridiculous adventure. Yes. That is a nice way of putting it, right? Yeah. Um, why don't we talk some about those, those experiences that... Yeah, there when you was, think about who your dad was as a child, when you were a child, who was he as a child? Who was he? Um, 
he seemed like a cool guy, you know, as a young dude. He looked cool. He was handsome and fit. He had motorcycles and cars and and he had a neat van at one point that I thought was great. And so it looked like he was having a good time and seemed like an interesting character. And, you know, there are only, there's only a handful of clear memories that I have of occasions where I went and spent time with my dad. Typically they were, you know, I guess mostly uneventful. I'd, I'd stop by the house and hang out for the day, hang out with the, you know, the younger boys, go out and do a little thing here or there. There was one instance of a couple of us went out fishing on a boat one day and once or twice we went out like sort of camping for a weekend in like a camper and 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 that was mostly it aside from a couple that stand out that were really I mean they're the ones that I think about nowadays when I look back the ones that I think about there's a couple in particular maybe two one of them I guess I don't remember which came first was you know as a kid I had long hair. Yeah. I was a long-haired kid. You know, I was one of these borderline, troubled, rebellious little kids. And my mom played into all of that stuff. My mom was this rebel character. I've talked about her on the show. I loved rock and roll. My mom enthusiastically allowed me to pursue all of that. If I wanted a denim jacket with a fucking Iron Maiden on the back, I had it. If I wanted long hair, go ahead. You want to listen to crazy rock and roll music, go ahead. Have it. And so I did. So I had some long hair and I was that kind of little kid. And my dad came and picked me up. I don't even think there was much advance warning. I think it was like, oh, your dad's coming to hang out with you today. You want to go out? Okay. <laughs> so I don't, okay. And, and honestly, I didn't even, it's not like I was excited about it. It's not like I was against it. I almost, I didn't know this man. Yeah. But I knew that he was my father. And I know that meant that he was like my boss. Yeah. Like, I'm the kid, he's the dad. I kind of, I guess I kind of got to listen to him. Yeah. When you're a kid, you're just, you're going with the flow of what, yes. you know? And, and there's, especially when you're a kid, there's also very little even, you haven't even learned yet that sometimes that you can say no. Some kids exactly. learn, some kids learn a little too early, but, you know, some kids learn a lot later than that. But most, most of the time, you don't even know that you can, you're just on a roller coaster and it's going to go wherever it takes you. And what are you going to do? You're seven, you know? Right. Yeah, so this day he comes to pick me up. And as we're driving away, he suggests, hey, maybe we ought to go get you a haircut. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want a haircut. I'm growing my hair. I got long hair and I want more long hair. I want I want a full head of fucking wild rock and roll hair. And out loud, what I said was probably like, all right, I guess. Yeah. Because I didn't feel like I was kind of scared, you know, because like this man who is my father is telling me we're going to go get a haircut. Yeah. So I thought, all right. So he takes me to a random piece of shit place where he says some random piece of shit instructions to cut off all my hair. And what they did is cut off all my hair. Yeah. I went from long hair to real short hair in an instant against my will. And eventually he dropped me off. I don't know what else happened that day. Nothing I could care about because I was now distraught and from having my fucking hair cut off. It's such a weird, like what on earth could make you walk into a kid's house that you don't really have much of a relationship with and think, kid needs a haircut. I mean, 
It's not and and yeah, he must have know. saw me in my long hair and thought, oh, that's not yeah. that's not proper Pod, or whatever. Yeah, podcast listeners probably haven't seen these photos of Joseph, but if you look at a young a photo of a young Joseph, I don't know. Sometimes you'll get to see in uh, <laughs> in Discord or whatever. Yeah, it's not like his hair was wild and unkempt and what's it called? It was well cared for. Oh, I long, had beautiful luscious hair. hair. It could have <laughs> yeah. been a it could have been a you know a model yeah. in a. a <laughs> conditioner you know video so right. it wasn't like he walked in and was like this kid's neglected i gotta get his hair cut yeah he came in and thought you can't have that hair right and you're gonna go cut, get it cut off yeah so so he did and they cut off all my hair and i went home and i don't remember the exact moment but my mother like i said a big proponent of my long hair was not pleased and she had no knowledge that this was going to happen and i'm sure i don't know for for certain but I'm sure that my dad's version of that is, I asked him if he wanted a haircut, and he said yes. <laughs> Which, on some level, is true. Yeah, on some level, it's... <laughs> if you want to be really fucking technical about it, true. But talk about a weird position of power. Well, yeah, I'm a child I mean, it's like with a father who I don't know and am afraid of. It said we're gonna go get a haircut, and I'm like, okay. It's like what we're talking about. We were talking about the other day, but a police officer, you know, says, <laughs> right. "Okay, get out of the car," and you're like, "Okay," you know, it's yeah. not even. You think like, you just have to get out of the car? Yeah, you're not thinking about it. You're, yeah. Like, this is what I'm supposed to do now. So there's that. That one stands out, and there's one other that stands out, which I think it's hard for me to remember the timeline. It's so long ago. It's childhood. I use a lot of weed. My memory is hazy. But the other one, I don't remember if it happened before or after the haircut, also involves my hair in a way. My dad was oddly religious. And by oddly religious, I mean he was some type of Christian or Catholic more specifically. But he wasn't even your run-of-the-mill Catholic that would go to church and like be into Catholic stuff, which would be weird enough. Catholics get up to some... Weird business. Yeah. They do. But my dad wouldn't be satisfied with that level of weirdness. He had to go far and beyond that. So, and again, I wish I had more details. I don't know all about this. But I've learned that my dad was involved in some sort of what I'm sure a lot of people would call a cult. But it was like a Catholic-related sort of little thing that you might call a cult. And at some point in my dad's past, he experienced the stigmata, which is, if you're not familiar, guys, stigmata is when a person believes that they're experiencing the wounds of Christ, oh. meaning the wounds in their hands, etc., the actual crucifixion wounds oh, yeah. of Jesus your, Christ. And your father experienced My father experienced wounds. this, okay. okay? And all kind of other super- creepy fucking details. One day, this father of mine picks me up again, probably with, I don't know, not a lot of advanced forethought or notice, and he's going to bring me to church. Now, up to this point, my experiences with religion and church were fairly minimal. My grandparents were occasional church-going people. As they got older, it became more infrequent. And so on occasion, not super regularly, but on occasion, on occasion, I was dragged into church. I didn't enjoy it. I thought it was boring and dumb and weird, and I didn't like it, 
<laughs> and it wasn't for me. But okay, my dad shows up and he decides I'm going to bring this kid to church. He obviously needs Jesus because he's wiling out with who knows, yeah. devil music or what else. And so he does. And he brings me to a church that is unlike your typical church scene. It's very small. It's not in one of these big, beautiful sort of churches with the stained glass and fancy everything. It's a small little place with the wooden pews and men dressed in the long brown robes with the little rope tied around the waist. They looked like full-size Jawas, if you're familiar with Star Wars out there. Brown robe, rope around the waist, monks is basically their deal. And they go on with this service that if, again, if I remember, may have been primarily in Latin or who knows what insane language it was. It sure as fuck wasn't anything. Some other tongues. Yeah. Yeah, they were speaking in tongues and doing something. And then there is the ritual where you go up and get down on your knees in subservience and you have a sip of the very blood of Christ and then you nibble upon the actual body of Christ because none of that is creepy as fuck. So I don't know about any of this. Well, it wasn't creepy until you said nibble. Nibble. You got to nibble yeah. it, crunch it, <laughs> place it upon your tongue. Totally normal until the nibble part. Nibble. And then, so so I follow along with this. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what it is. I don't know what to do. I don't know what it means. I'm just doing what I think I'm supposed to do. I follow along. I'm kneeling on the thing. I've got my head down because I'm looking to my left and my right to say, okay, what do I do? I'm just following along. They've got their head down. I will put my head down. I'm a little child. And this guy, whoever he is, the monk, the creep, the priest, whatever he was, he walked up to me. And now at this point, I had a different weird little hairdo. I don't remember specifically. I might have had a little rat tail like in the 80s. Some kids would have these little tails. Or maybe I had a little beginnings of a mullet or who knows what. I had some kind of long hair that was not appropriate. He grabbed it right in the back of the nape of my neck there. He grabs it and he pulls it up, upward, in a noticeable fucking way. Like, he didn't rip it out of my head, but it wasn't gentle. Yeah. Let me tell you. It was like, ow, motherfucker, damn. And I remember it. This is the most clear memory I have of the day. He said, he is not an animal about me. He says to my father that I am not an animal. And so what is this? What is this hair? You know? And I don't remember the exact words, but my my dad sort of had to sort of excuse it, uh, make an excuse for it, explaining that, well, you know, he's with his mother. I don't really have, you know, uh, control over the situation. Which even then... It's disgusting when I hear it now, when I think of it now. But even then, it felt kind of shitty. It felt like, how about you defend me, motherfucker? How about you say, that's my son's haircut that he likes, so watch your fucking mouth, man. Yeah. But he didn't. He uh, he excused it and you know, begrudgingly uh, had to move on with his animal-like son. And I never forgot it. 
And, you know, let me just, I'm going to veer off okay. for a moment, sure. but, but keep me reined in when you have to. As a person, if you know me, if you get to know me the way some people in my life know me, or even the way some folks within Satanic Delco know me, you'll know that I don't particularly enjoy the way that parts of our society or culture can victimize themselves or look at themselves as a victim or play into things that have traumatized them in their life. And I know that might sound weird because obviously I'm aware, like you all probably are, that trauma is bad and it's significant and it's a real factor in the way that people's lives can be negatively impacted. I acknowledge all of that. But my personality, for whatever reason, is one that lays into the idea of Many of us are the underdog and the outsider, maybe, if we like that word. I do. Um, And that it's up to us to determine our own path. And so despite any shortcomings or obstacles or hardships, it's up to us to see our way forward and to make the most of ourselves uh, to our own satisfaction. And so I avoid acknowledging things like the effects of my own past, my own trauma, my own shortcomings. I don't, I don't ever want to paint the picture that I'm the victim. Guys, guys, feel bad for me. I was traumatized as a child, and, and I need your help. I can't make it, guys. I don't do that. Um, but there were any number of situations that now I can look back upon and see how they may have played a role in shaping who I became and what I am today. And my dad's religious shit, including that day in that weird church, absolutely played a role in me being a Satanist (laughs) as we sit here today. My anti-religious or anti-Christian views and feelings were already born probably before that day. But goddamn, if there are landmark days that played significant roles in creating religious trauma or religious feelings, that was maybe one of the most significant days. Yeah. Because that is a direct that is a directly religious experience. And I don't know. I have trouble even sitting here now talking, like, do I frame that as religious trauma? Because kind of, as I'm imagining the day and picturing it in my mind, it feels like a kid being assaulted in a church by the clergy. That's what it feels like. Yeah. You know, I wasn't raped by a priest as I was an altar boy, like so too many people have, but That is a wildly inappropriate thing to do. If I went and grabbed your kid, you out there, listener, you don't really know me, maybe. But if I went and grabbed your kid by the hair and pulled their hair enough to hurt and said, they're not a fucking animal, what are you doing? How would you feel? Would you feel like a man just assaulted your child? I fucking would. If I saw a man, (laughs) I'm going to get fired up right now. (laughs) If I saw a man 
touch my son in that way. <laughs> Damn, he's got a, he's got an anger in his eyes right now. I would lose my fucking mind. Yeah, I would lose my mind. Uh, I'm becoming emotional talking about I this see right you. now. I wanted to take. My, I was thinking I could take my camera out and take a little video, but I do I've not. chosen not to. <laughs> no, I would absolutely lose my cool yeah. in a way that is would would I would be put somewhere yeah. probably after that. Yeah. Um, and the fact that my dad's reaction to it was so passive. Yeah. Uh, is really something. Yeah. You know, really speaks to. All of it. I've never really thought about it this much until right now. No. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I, I was thinking also that I, I kind of, I, I completely understand the benefits to it. But at the same time, I think that there, I, I tend to think there's a real, um, I sometimes have an issue with the labeling of every single incident as trauma. Right. Now, and, and I say that knowing like your the feelings are valid, absolutely valid, but yeah. Um, but nowadays we use trauma to mean so many different things that yeah. I and I think that specific words are very helpful in describing um, incidents. Also, I think that using the word trauma can really help you to recognize and understand. Hey, that's why I feel valid about that because it was a traumatic experience. Yes. Um, so I yeah. don't know, I, and I and to have- you know I went through that whole little rant there where I say, you know, I don't. I try to stay away from like the victim mentality and all that stuff. Yeah. And and pretty sure, guys, I I can almost promise. There's going to be a podcast episode that in some way explores that because it's been on my mind a lot, the idea of victim mentality and all of that. But but okay, that's a little bit for another day. But I don't say any of that to give anyone the impression that I want to lessen the significance of trauma that people have. I don't. I don't. It's just that my personality leads my response to that to be a certain way that I can understand that some might view it as me being at times less sensitive than I could be or less compassionate or or anything. And it's not that I want that. I, I don't mean it in that way. I mean it in a way that what the way I use it for myself is meant to be a motivating factor. So rather than using your trauma or or better yet allowing your trauma to be this anchor that drags you down permanently and and ruins your life and and gives you an excuse to make to to fall back upon why you're not achieving rather than that I want it to be no guys fuck trauma let's do better so yeah. so I just want to be clear that I'm not belittling anyone's trauma my attitude is just come on guys let's do it we're it's the like underdogs a- we can do it there is, you know, it's important that you are, are able to deal with and process your trauma, and but you also need to be able to, um, you know, if you're if you're stuck in that state of processing trauma for a long, long time, that can be really, really very hard. And depending on the extent of of your circumstances and your own, um, you know, just mental state in general, it can be very, very, very hard. But I think it can be very damaging as well to just settle into that and be like, well, that's yeah. what my life is. Yeah. Uh, and of yeah. course, you know, if you, if we talk about this for four more seconds, I'm going to go on about balance and outsider <laughs> no, no. Satanism and yeah, balance, but you get it. You know where I'm coming from. Yeah. There's a balance to, of, you know, acknowledging your trauma, using it for what it has to be used for, dealing with it and moving on. But, but yeah, not to totally derail us. Yeah. Um, and, and sure. Okay. So religious trauma in my case, 
if you want to categorize it that way. I don't know. You guys can all be the judge if these experiences fit religious trauma. I can understand if they did. So so we'll go with it. That played a role absolutely in sending me in a direction in my life. Other things also did. My mom also did in a, in a totally different way. And, and there's a million things that probably did. But yes, as I said, that was a landmark day in my rebellion against all that Christianity represents. And then, since we're on the topic of trauma, how about, and again, keep me on track. I know no. you might have an outline that we're following and no, no, I want to o- do it. Okay to- there is the accumulation of this experience of my relationship with my father from childhood, sort of absentee father, through these various traumatic experiences, up through the later years where I pursued a relationship with him it sort of failed, and then his death and all of these expectations, and you name it. The accumulation of all of that stuff, now when I look back, on this show, you guys have heard me probably describe myself as a young man, a teen and a youngster, a young adult. I had a lot of years where I identified as being a very angry person. I was angry. I was depressed. I was angry, and it was. there were times when it was really overflowing from me. Now, can I say, would it be realistic or even fair to say, it was my father's fault. That was my dad. That's the effect of not having a dad. I don't know, guys. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a scientist uh, that knows all of the ins and outs. And I don't know if even those people could absolutely tell me yes or no. But I'm saying growing up without a father, or a person even in that real role of what a father would be, probably means something. You know, if somebody said right now, look at that kid on the street, look at that angry fucking acting out kid, at least in my mind, I would question, Yeah, does it, he have a father? Well, it's not, but it's not just without a father. It's also that your life with your mother and grandparents was also unstable in that way too. So there was really no grounding. Yeah, a bit. One grounding factor. And and that's not to say that you can't, you know, be raised without a father and have, you know, a, a very well-grounded um, relationship and all of that. But of when the world around you, um, especially when you were a child, is telling you, hey, you're you're supposed to have a mom and a dad. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's a thing. Look, and, and then you get, even as a kid, of course, any of you kids out there who were the product of a divorced family, at, at some point you become aware of stuff. Where's your dad? Oh, well, I don't know. He lives over there with like his real family. You know, yeah. like I didn't know, you know, you never know what to say. You're a little kid. Uh, at a certain point, you become more equipped to understand it all and, and respond. But, you know, as a kid, when trauma is really getting born, that's yeah. when it that's when the seeds are planted, right? And so yeah, I grew up without a father figure and and so be it. So there's that. So did your father know later in your life about you being a Satanist? And was he religious through his whole life? I believe he was religious. I don't know to what extent he knows about my whole deal. I I, I really don't know. I could believe that people would tell him. Yeah. But I could also believe that people would choose not to tell him. Yeah. So I don't know which is the case. And are those three three boys that were raised with him, are they also religious? Were they raised in that super religious, weird, um, like weirdly religious? I don't know the extent of it. 
I know at times they have all had some level of it. Most of my experiences were, like I said, with the oldest of those three. And I he didn't seem to me to be overly attached to any religious thing. Mm-hmm. However, I know that at one, if not both, I don't know all of it, but at least one of the younger two is definitely um, – how to even put it, man? Uh, yeah, they're into some stuff. Yeah, they're into some stuff I'm not into. They have a lot of beliefs that I don't, and they don't believe in a lot of stuff that I do. Yeah, do they know you're a Satanist? Uh, yeah. Your Facebook friends, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they yeah. know something. I would be so. I'm just curious about what they think about that. I don't think. I don't ever, think they're into it. I don't think that you would ever really find out for sure <laughs> if they have any real yeah. opinions. Yeah, but. they don't. I'm I'm sure that there are some feelings about it, and I don't think they're into it. Yeah. But yeah, as far as my dad, he he did carry his he's quite religious. You know, he has tattoos that are religious. He his forearm was a whole big detailed crucifixion scene. Yeah. Um brutal. I mean, good artwork, but goddamn, what a picture yeah. to look at every day. Yeah. Throughout his house. Oh, he also had a tattoo of like some sort of rosaries around his neck and chest, you mm-hmm. know. He had that. Uh in his house, he had a bunch of stuff. I remember throughout his house he had Spread throughout different rooms were these masks hung up on the wall that represented each of the seven deadly sins. I mean, that sounds kind of cool. It was, but he was looking at <laughs> yeah. it from a real, you know, yeah. <laughs> different perspective yeah. than we might. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. funny, though. It's it's a lot of times when I hear you talk about your dad, There's it's a weird contrast for me to be able to put together that you describe him as this cool guy with motorcycles and all right. kinds of fun I stuff. Know. And just this deep, weird... I mean, I'm weird. It's a weird religious Super weird. <laughs> background, I think. Oh, and, and let me just throw in, just to continue painting this picture of who the man was. Super religious, religious tattoos. When he was younger, he had long hair. He's not no stranger to long hair. From all accounts, what I was told is he had beautiful long hair. My yeah. mom loved his long hair. Yeah. And, and one day, I remember very specifically, he pulled up to my house in his cool green conversion van that he had at one point, blasting... And Justice for All from Metallica in the in the eighties. And um so yeah, he he was into rock music far back. He had at one time he owned three, not one or two, but three Harley Davidson motorcycles at the same time. Yeah. All right. And in more recent years, he also had motorcycles and classic cars. And he had a phase of he he had phases, I believe, of heroin use. He also, back in the day, had phases of other drug and alcohol use. I don't know all of the details. Um, but yeah, he was into all kind of shit. He wasn't some altar boy little boy scout for his whole life. He sure as fuck was not. Yeah. Uh, not to mention kids everywhere. He couldn't stop making kids. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. the hypocrisy in all of it yeah. is also astounding. I mean, I would, I, this is a character that I, I can't, it's very difficult for me to imagine. And I would, yeah. yeah crazy so i was listening before before i came over i listened back to the your episode on satanic forgiveness Mm -hmm. which i don't know if you've specifically found a place for it in one of the values of outsider satanism but you did talk about it the primary perspectives that you offered on the that podcast were the cos perspective which is that kind of lex talionis Eye for an eye. Eye for an eye. We're too big on forgiveness and we need to i'm I'm blatantly misrepresenting i'm sure though (laughs) The, the point of Lex Talionis, but or of, uh, of the Church of Satan's perspective here, but that's their perspective and TST where it seems sort of missing, but it's it's kind of related to Tenet 6. P3. 
people are right. fallible. Yeah. Right. And your perspective at the end, it's not that it's a goal or anything, but it should be your first the first thought is try to forgive. It's good for you. Right. But- I think I think I probably wrapped up that episode with the idea that um, it's certainly not required. You're not obligated to forgive anyone, but it's healthy and helpful to lean into forgiveness whenever possible. That's right. kind of my vibe on it. Right. Because forgiveness is um, it, it's an act that benefits you, the forgiver. Right. Uh, you might be angry, resentful, stressful, whatever. It doesn't mean if you are to forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that you forget what happened or that it makes it okay with that. Okay, that it happened. What's your, what are your feelings now on this? Is there is there forgiveness there or are we past it? Is it? I mean, it doesn't really seem like he's done a lot. Show any sort of yeah. acknowledgement of your own feelings on the matter. So. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't given a ton of thought. Now, look, had you asked me this two years ago, maybe I would have a different vibe. It wasn't even a matter of do I forgive or not. I had moved on. Right. I had really spent the majority of these last 30 plus years just moved on. When shit pissed me off or whatever, I I got over it. You know, I put it where it belonged in my mind and I've just moved on with my life. I have other things that are, take my attention, and I never spent that much time looking back at my father, this guy that I didn't really know and wasn't going to know and what would have been. I didn't really care that much about that. So it's not that I was consciously carrying any of it around. I had already moved on. And in that moving on, is that forgiveness? Because I wasn't carrying around with any like conscious anger. I wasn't feeling angry about him. I wasn't feeling anything about him. When all of this stuff comes up at different points or now, yeah, there maybe there is levels of resentment or whatever it might be. Is it anger? Is it I don't know what. It I just it's all stuff that just has to be considered and processed and then, you know, you leave it behind again and keep on moving. Now, uh, you know, there's probably going to be at least a couple more days of uh, at least a couple more days or weeks of of sort of Sure. It being a, a, a current event, I suppose, yeah. um, even if you choose not to go to any after death gatherings, there's you're going to see Facebook posts and stuff like that. People are going to be talking about it. Um, once all that's passed, let's say a year goes by, two years go by. Do you think that random things that remind you of him are going to upset you or do you think that they're go- you're going to be able to just – move on. And I don't mean upset in like a significant way, but are they right. going to ruin your day? Are they going to give you a mood that or you're even just some level you? of annoyance yeah. throughout the day? Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know is the only honest answer. I can't, I can't see the future. I, I think it's certainly possible that something like that could happen. And, you know, on some level, this isn't always the case, but again, it's fresh, you know, because this has all come up recently. And I've I've always said this. I was real conscious of this idea when I realized I was having a kid all those years ago that I wanted my father or, or my relationship with my father to serve as some sort of example or inspiration as to how I wanted to approach being a father, which is to say I wanted to be the opposite of my father. I wanted to be everything as a father, that mine never was for me. I wanted to be, I just decided the moment I knew I was going to be a father, before my kid even was born, 
I knew that I was going to be all up in this kid's business for all of the time. You yeah. know, I was going to, I was going to be there. I was going to know what was going on. I was going to be there with him and for him and be a dad. Just, you know, it, it's not like I'm describing the Superman of a dad I was going to be. I was just going to be a regular dad that loved his son and acted like it, which is the opposite of what my father was. And so I tried to, I tried to do that. I, I don't claim or suspect that I'm a perfect parent. I, I, it feels like a hard job and I'm always trying to figure it out every day for all these years. Um, I've been a parent for right about 16 years and it's hard. So I can't give anybody too much shit if they're not perfect at it. I'm probably not, but fair enough to say that my dad did a piss poor job at making any effort whatsoever. Yeah. So I can, I feel secure in judging him that way. So I don't even remember the question, but I did use my father, my experience with my father as some sort of indicator for what I ought to do because I know how not having one feels and how that, where that leads and whatever and the advantages that you can have in life having a father. And I'd rather my son have one for real. Yeah. You know. Do you have any final thoughts or reflections about any of this stuff? Do you have any any lessons learned or any lessons to teach or just have you gotten all your feelings out there? Well, so I learned of the news of his passing, whatever night it was. And then if I remember correctly, I think it was probably the next day, I made a post on Facebook. Right. Now, for any of you guys out there, you know, some of you were members of Satanic Delco or some of you were connected on Facebook. And so some people saw this, I guess. If you're familiar with my Facebook, my Facebook is essentially bits of my Instagram. It's what record I'm listening to, what cute thing my dog is doing right here. Occasionally my son's having a little moment, you know, I post it up there. That's basically it. Um, it's episodes of the podcast. You know, I don't really get on there too often to express a lot of real personal stuff. But in this moment, that next day, I did have a personal feeling and I wanted to express it on my Facebook. And so I did. And I don't remember the whole post. I, I eventually deleted it. It served its purpose. I expressed myself for a time and and then I deleted it. Why would I delete such a thing? It was my real feelings. And yeah, it was. Because... I don't want to ruin the curated uh, timeline <laughs> that I've that I've put together of my records and my dogs and all. Who wants to scroll back and see this nonsense? Not me, not anybody. So fuck it, I deleted it. But I'll just suffice to say that the message started out, I think, with "Ding dong, the bitch is dead." That's what I wrote, and then I went on from there, expressing myself a bit about my father's history and my relationship or lack thereof. And it caught the attention of, you know, random people who had a feeling about it. But then it also caught the attention of a couple of those younger brothers. And they were not happy. They were not pleased. And in fact, they were aggressively not happy about it toward me. I understand why they're aggressively not happy about it, but I don't think they have any right to, yeah. Yeah, well, well, I, I'll, I'll go with they do have a right because what I was doing was expressing myself on a social media platform. And so the tools of that social media platform allow for comments. And so fine, they were in their right. And 
I acknowledge and respect the reality that their relationship with him is wildly different than mine. My experience with him is different than theirs. And so I get it. I get it. And not to mention the father that they have had a relationship for with for their whole lives had just died within hours or so. And so super fresh, super raw, they see a guy who is an outsider for sure from their family experience talking wild shit about their father who just died and wasn't in the ground yet. And so I get their defensiveness, and I had no aggression toward them, and I didn't reply to them with any aggression. In fact, I replied to them privately, letting them know, look, guys, I mean no aggression toward you. This isn't about you. You know, I apologize for you having to be faced with this in this raw moment. I get it. I understand. Um I'm just expressing See, myself. You're a better man than I, though, because I, I think that all of their feelings can be valid and also yours as well. And if what is beneficial to you is being able to vent about it on yeah. social media, then I don't think they have a right to be like, well, he was out of line. I don't think you were out of line. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think I was actually out of line. Had I do it, had I to do over again, I would probably keep it out of their particular view. Yeah. I would have expressed myself to everyone except them. Yeah. because of their unique relation to the issue, you know, um, because I don't, I wasn't my, my post and, you know, my desire to express myself had nothing to do with them. I wasn't looking to poke at them. I wasn't looking to hurt them or bother them in any way. It was just me. It was an emotional response, you know, truly just an emotional outpouring. Um, that's it. Um, so I understood it. And, and I took it down, not not because of them even, just because I don't need that. You know, it's over. I did it. I expressed myself and purpose uh, served, I guess. So where do we go from here? I don't know. There is a gathering, like I said, coming up. I don't know that I will go. I don't know. We'll see. The next thing that happens is a funeral. Um, where, when is that funeral? I'm, the details are out there. Will I go? No. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to go that. I don't go to most funerals, um, even for people that I like. So I don't really want to go and hang out and look at my dead person and talk to people as if we're not hanging out with a dead person. You know, I just, I'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll have lunch. And and I prefer that. So then what? Then then what becomes of all of it? What will the relationship with be with all of these siblings? Couldn't tell you. There hasn't been much of one. The only thing connecting us doesn't exist anymore, our father. And so what is there? I don't know if there's anything. I don't know. I'm not against it. I'm not pushing for it. I'll just, I'll see. If it feels natural and normal and fine, so be it. I can treat them like a person that I like or hang out with, regardless of who our fathers were. You know, I have lots of friends who we don't share a father. So if we happened to have had the same father, fine. I'm not going to hold it against them, but it also doesn't much do do much for them. Yeah, you know, and so I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to feel some kind of way for the foreseeable little piece of time, maybe, maybe not. I don't even know. That's all I got. That's all we got. Are there any other stories that you were hoping to tell? Or? <laughs> no, no, I guess not. I guess uh, for any of you guys who have listened through this episode, I don't know how you feel about it. I I always reserve the right to use episodes on this podcast for 
the life in general part. I always say that on every episode, and sometimes it's going to be life in general, and that means listening to a record that I like or talking about my dad who just died or anything else that might come up. You know, there just might be those episodes, and it's really fresh and raw right now, and so why not? If I'm going to tell a story and express myself, here's a place where Maybe some of you can relate to some of this, maybe not. Maybe it's just an entertaining podcast episode for you. I don't know. Maybe you don't like personal episodes and you skip this one, and that's fine. Uh, we'll, we'll surely be right back with some more Satan content very soon, and I won't give it away, but I do have some Satan business cooking, and we'll see how that goes. So I guess that's that. Kirsten, thank you once again for helping this podcast exist. Thanks and- for having me. And uh, all of all of the work that you do, I really appreciate it here and in Satanic Delco. Thank you for listening. If you have a moment out there, I would love for you to visit the website at HailSatanPodcast.com. Stay safe out there and Hail Satan.